Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Good evening, church. Good evening. I just want to start off by saying thank you to Pastor Thompson for an opportunity to preach. It's a special privilege and an honor, and it's not a light thing handling the Word of God, you know. Uh, but I'm grateful to be with all of you here tonight. Um, I think it's fitting to give just a little bit of an introduction, only because, so I started here about a month ago, but I've been gone for the last three weeks. Uh, for the last three, uh, three weeks ago, I was in Ironwood with the teens, and then for the last two weeks, I've been in South Korea and Japan on a missions trip, and uh, Pastor Thompson was gracious in allowing me to go. It was with a small team from First Baptist Church in Long Beach, and uh, that's the church that I grew up in. Um, so I haven't been here at Liberty for very long, but I can tell you this, I already love it here. It's awesome. Uh, I would say that this is an easy ministry to love. I'm sure many of you could say that too. It's an easy ministry to love. And uh, you can definitely sense that God is doing something here. And I definitely want to be a part of that. I know that this is where God wants me to be. And I say that because I believe that the Lord led me here. And man, there's just a comfort and a peace in that, you know? There's no better place to be than in the will of God. I was in uh, contact with Pastor Thompson about the end of last year, this would have been December, and uh, about potentially interning here. And so I had my last semester at college really to think about and to pray and to fast about whether I wanted to come on uh, staff here. And my prayer to God was that he would make his will so clear, and he would make it so evident that I couldn't miss it, you know? And I believe that he confirmed that in me. So I'm excited to be here tonight. I, uh, I believe the Lord's called me to preach, as uh, Brother Sammy said. And I see him using this time in my life as a time of preparation. You know, I want to learn as much as I can from godly men on the staff and from godly individuals in this church and just sharpen some tools for the ministry. Before we get into the message tonight, though, I wanted to share a couple personal stories. So Brother Sammy was my junior high Bible teacher as he said. So he taught Bible when I was in seventh and eighth grade, but I'm gonna be real with you. I don't remember anything that he taught. <laughs> I'm gonna be real. But I do remember this guy's jokes. I do remember his jokes. He had some jokes. But I do remember also that Brother Sammy, he provoked me to good works. I say that, so, um, so when I was in eighth grade, um, so how it worked with our Christian schools, if you were a boy and you played basketball, they made you preach, you know? So they made me preach for fine arts, and Brother Sammy thought it would be a good idea for me to prepare for fine arts by preaching in elementary chapel. And mind you, I'd never, I'd, I'd never preached before in my life, so I was terrified, you know? But I went ahead and I did it, and afterward, Brother Sammy said, hey, I like the illustration that you used. Use it in high school chapel. And I was like, oh man, you know, now not only was I preaching uh, to people, but I was preaching to people older than me, you know, so I was terrified, and mind you, in eighth grade, I was the shortest in my class, you know, I wasn't even five feet tall, so I remember it vividly, I was standing in the night's chapel, and the pulpit was large enough, and I was short enough to where I could hide behind that thing, and I was holding onto that pulpit for dear life, you know, and afterward, one of my friends came up to me, and he said, man, Steve, that was a great sermon, but by the way, we didn't hear a word you said, you know, so they didn't even hear anything that I said. I, mean, I could laugh about it now, but at the time, that hurt, you know? 
I, uh, I'll share one more story before we get into it. Um, this would have been my senior high. I was getting ready to preach again. And um, I remember I was feeling nervous. And um, I said within myself, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say. So, you know, you go to your mom for encouragement. You know, you go to your mom and you expect her to have the perfect, you know, the encouraging words, exactly what you need to hear. So I told my mom, mom, I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm going to say. She looked at me sternly. You know, she's a fierce woman. She said, don't be. They don't care what you have to say. He said, they want to hear what God has to say. And uh, I'll tell you, those words have stuck with me. I think about that every time I get up to preach. The people need to hear from God. Not so much what I have to say, you know. So church family, that's been my prayer leading up to tonight. God, I pray that your message will be heard. You hide me behind the cross. Church family, I pray that your heart tonight too. What does God have for me? If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, it's the Old Testament. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Starting in verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. So he's saying the place that they were living at, it was too straight. It was too narrow. It was too confined. And the reason that their dwelling place was too confined is because the ministry was beginning to grow under the prophet Elisha. In verse 2, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. That's the Jordan River. And take thence every man a beam. That's a log or a tree. And let us make a place there where we may dwell with thee. And he answered, go ye. So they were saying, let's go and let's cut down some trees. Let's get some logs and let's build a house to accommodate for the growing ministry. Verse 3. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So this was their heart. We're going to go and we're going to build a house to accommodate for the growing ministry. But Elisha, you man of God, we're not going to go unless you come with us. Verse 4, so he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. Verse 5, but as one was felling a beam, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So he looked to Elisha, who was the man of God at that time, and he said, this is not even my axe. I borrowed the axe. Verse 6, and the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. So Elisha turned to the one that lost his axe, and he said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and Elisha broke a stick, or he cut down one of the branches from the tree, cast it in the water where the iron had fell. And we know what happens when iron falls into water, right? It sinks to the bottom. So when the Bible says the iron did swim, this is a miracle of God. The axe head began to float to the surface. Verse 7, therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Tonight I just want to share a couple truths from this passage on God's enabling power. God's enabling power. I'll pray and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll get into the message tonight. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we pray that you would speak, Father, and that your message would be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. As the story goes of a woman, she went to uh, a department store to buy a vacuum. 
And she went and she was looking for the best of the best, you know, so she went and she looked for the one that was most expensive and she made sure the reviews online could testify of that, you know, so she, she purchased the vacuum that, that was the best one and she brought it home and she assembled the vacuum and she was excited to use it, you know, there was nothing wrong with this vacuum, it was in perfect condition. But as she went to go turn on the vacuum, she found out that it didn't work. And obviously she was frustrated about this. So she goes and she calls customer service and she's, just, she's letting this guy have it. You know, she's giving him a piece of her mind. She's saying, I just bought this vacuum from your store. And you mean to tell me it doesn't work? I, I got a 90 day warranty. So either you send me a replacement or I want my money back. And so this guy's patiently listening to her, you know, and he's saying, he asked her a couple questions. And at the very end, he says, well, ma'am, have you tried plugging it in? Turns out she didn't plug in the vacuum. She didn't plug in the vacuum. It didn't matter how good of a vacuum it was. If you didn't plug it into the source, it's powerless. A vacuum not plugged into the source is ineffective. Not much that it can be used for. I don't know if you could tell what this is um, based on where you're sitting, but I think in many ways it's probably similar to what we read about in our story. If you observe, this is, a, this is an ax. But if you look, there, there's no axe head on it. Church family, in the hands of God, we are, we're merely instruments that can be used. But our effectiveness is only, it largely depends on the connection that we have to the source. If we have no connection to the source, then we are powerless. An axe without its head is powerless, right? If I went up to a tree and tried to cut down the tree with just his axe on it, it wouldn't work. To validate my point, I literally did that. I went to a tree and I began hacking away at it. I was like, let me see what kind of damage I could do with just this handle. I'll tell you about, after about the third swing, I realized how much of an idiot I probably looked like swinging a wood stick at a tree, you know? But I began swinging away at it and I'll tell you, I, began, I, I was able to make small dents in the bark, but concerning chopping down the tree, not a chance, right? Matter of fact, if I kept swinging at the tree, I probably would cause more damage to the ax handle than I would to the tree. What am I saying? My point is this, an ax handle is powerless without its head to cut down a tree. We as Christians are powerless apart from God. Try as you may, but you have no hope of cutting down a tree with this ax handle. And so we have no hope of fighting life's battles apart from God. I want you to consider first tonight that there was a loss of power. There was a loss of power. And it took place despite godly company, despite godly company. Let's look at verse one. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, so pay attention to who's gathered together here. It's the sons of the prophets. And not only just them, it, the man of God himself is with them. Elisha, the phrase sons of it denotes the characteristics of a person. So these were a company of prophets that were here together. These were men of God who met together to worship God. They came together for the work of the ministry. Despite this, however, despite the fact that there was godly company, one of them still lost his accent. What does this tell us? We can be in church. We can be surrounded by good and godly believers. God can give us godly parents who have raised us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can have a good pastor who preaches the word week in and week out. We can have all of these things and yet be destitute of the power of God. 
and be destitute of the power of God. Just because we're surrounded by godly people doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's power is is upon us. And I'm not denying the fact that we need the body of Christ, right? Because we do. The church for edification, right? The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not denying that we need godly friends because iron sharpens iron, right? So a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. But just understand that even in the midst of godly company, we can be destitute of the power of God. You ever been there? Are you there right now? Sometimes we get this idea that maybe we're good just because we come to church, you know, just because we're doing what we're told. I thought, I thought that for a long time. Man, when I was younger, or I should say ever since I can remember, um, I've been in church. That's because my parents, they trusted Christ. They, they came to know Christ as their Savior a little bit before I was born. So I, I, I can't remember a time in my life that I wasn't in church. But second-generation Christians in And those who've been born into a Christian home can understand the struggle that comes with that. Because before you have your own faith, before you develop your own faith, you're living off of your parents' faith, you know? And for me, the struggle was that I was doing what I was supposed to do, but to please my parents. I wasn't doing it to please God, you know? And um, I hadn't developed a personal relationship with God. For me, it wasn't that I had lost the power of God. It's that I never experienced it, you know? It didn't matter if I grew up in church and that God had given me godly parents who, and, I, and that I went to a Christian school, uh, or that I had a good pastor that preached the word. It didn't matter any of those things. It, it wasn't until I got saved, it wasn't until I trusted Christ, that I being, that until I developed that right relationship with the Lord that I was able to experience the Holy Spirit's working in my life. You know, we can be surrounded by godly company and, be, and still lack power. But once you notice there was a loss of power despite godly company, but also despite good intentions, despite good intentions, verses two through four, we see the sons of the prophets said, let's go, let's cut down some trees, let's take some logs, let's build a house to accommodate for the ministry. This was their heart. Lord, I want to do a great work for you. We'll build a house to accommodate for this ministry. We'll expand more so that we will be comfortable. Lord, we're going to do a great work for you. But never forget that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, right? Every house is built by some man, but the one who builds all things is God. In Romans 10, Paul mentions uh, his desire, his heart for the Israelites. He says that they may be saved, but he says, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. They're zealous for God. They want to do something for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They lack the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't confuse religiousness with power. Sometimes we confuse that, you know? Jesus rebuked the, the Sadducees who were a religious sect. He said, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And Paul mentions in the last days there will be, there will come time, there, there will be, in the, in the last times some will come and this will characterize them. They will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Just because we have good intentions, just because we're religious per se, doesn't mean we have the power of God upon us. In that same manner, just because we're in church doesn't mean that we're exempt from the devil's attacks. If anything, it means the devil's going to try even harder. Remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And so I prayed for you that your faith fail not. 
Remember um, when, when Satan came to God in the book of Job and, and he tells God that he's been walking to and fro throughout the whole earth and from walking up and down in it, right? And God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's perfect. He's upright. He, he fears me. He hates evil, right? And, and God, I mean, and, and Satan, we know him as the accuser of the brethren, right? So he starts to accuse Job in the face of God. And he says, man, he, he's only serving you because he's gi- you've given him so many things. So take away those things and he will curse you to your face. Satan's a, a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Church family, he desires to sift us as wheat, right? Just because we desire to do good doesn't mean we're safe from the devil's attacks. But, but the Sammy mentioned that I, I started about a month ago. Man, uh, I'll tell you, during, up until the time that I came here, I just felt like there was this dark cloud over me. And um, the reason I, I, I felt that is because I believe that the devil is really attacking me. And he was bringing all of this doubt. And I'm telling you, all these insecurities that I didn't even know I had were starting to surface. And they came to the forefront of my mind. I was really thinking to myself, man, I can't do this, you know? I started having these thoughts of unworthiness, like I'm not worthy. I'm inadequate. I can't do the work of the ministry. I was literally entertaining those thoughts. And I'll tell you, when I went to Ironwood with the teens the following week, it's as if the Lord was speaking to me, and he was just reminding me of his presence, and he was telling me, Steve-O, you know, I'm right here with you. I'm standing by you. Don't forget the one who enables. Don't forget the one who calls, the one who qualifies. Up until that point, I was thinking, man, I got to qualify myself. If I can just equip myself with a little bit more, I'll be ready. You know, if I could just listen to a couple more podcasts, you know, if I could just read a couple more books or listen to a few more sermons, then I'll be ready for the work of the ministry. But God was right there reminding me, I am the one who qualifies. I am the one who enables. I am the one who calls. And so I had to turn to him. It's as if Jesus was telling me, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Paul talks about how Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. So there was a loss of power despite godly company, despite God... Uh, good intentions, but I want you to know it is secondly, the source of power, the source of power. In verse five, we see there was a source of power in godly leadership, in godly leadership. Verse five, but as one was felling a beam, the ax head fell into the water and he cried and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So we notice what, when something happened, immediately his reaction was to turn to the man of God and to ask him for help. The godly leader in this story was Elisha. He was the prophet that the people turned to at this time. And a prophet was essentially a messenger from from God, right? They would take God's message and they would bring it to the people. Hebrew says, God who has sundry times and in diverse manners, he spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, right? In these last days, he speaks unto us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, right? But in the Old Testament, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets, right? So Elisha was the one that the people looked to. The, the, the one that the people would hear from God. Elisha at this time was the prophet. He was the teacher. But if you remember, there was a time when Elisha the teacher was Elisha the student. Yes, yes. If you remember, Elisha came up to Elijah and he asked him, I pray thee that a double portion of thy spirit will be upon me. And uh, Elijah told him, that's a hard thing for you to ask, you know, but if you see the Lord take me up in a whirlwind, then it shall be so. And Elisha saw that and... Um, he received Elijah's mantle. We see that the double portion was upon him, right? And he smote the, the Jordan River and it, it, it parted, right? 
And we see all throughout his ministry that the double portion was upon him. He performed many miracles, right? But what does this relation, relationship teach us? It teaches us the importance of learning, the importance of godly leadership, the importance of being taught, the importance of being taught. I think everyone in here tonight ought to have the heart of a student, like Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, you know, hanging on his every word, right? She loved him. She wanted to learn as much as she could, even despite the customs of that day and age. And it wasn't accepted for women to really uh, learn from the master like, like men were accepted to, you know? That was her heart, to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's a dangerous place to be when we think that we've arrived, you know, and we can't learn from anybody else. There is power in godly leadership. You don't have to go it alone. God has given us the body of Christ. He's given us pastors and teachers for our benefit, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, right? We understand that we don't necessarily have a human mediator. There's not someone that stands in the place of God uh, for us anymore, right? Because Jesus Christ made it so that he is our high priest now. And so now we can go directly to God. We have access by faith into God's grace because of faith, right? But God has given us pastors and teachers for our benefit. So there is wisdom, there is power, church family, and godly leadership. But I want you to notice lastly that there is power in God's word. The source of power, it's in God's word. Verse 6, and the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. We see the miracle of God take place. We understand that Elisha was the man of God and that the people looked to him, but don't forget that it was God who performed the miracle. God is the one who caused the iron axe head to float to the surface, right? If God didn't cause that, that miracle to take place, then when Elisha threw that stick in there, nothing would have happened. The stick would have just been floating on water, right? Because the power is in the word. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because there, um, because the power is in the gospel. It's able to save a person from death. It's, a, it's, it's able to wash a person's sins away, right? The power is in the word. And just as the axe head can pierce the tree, so the word of God pierces the heart of man. God said, is not my word like a hammer? Breaking the rock in pieces? Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know the reason why sometimes it's so hard to search the scriptures? Because it exposes the areas in our life that need a change, right? If you're in here tonight and you say, man, I've been reading my Bible, but... I haven't been experiencing the power of God. I want to encourage you with this. Something my old professor would say, it was Dr. Getch at West Coast, he would say, uh, stop reading the Bible and start letting the Bible read you. Start letting the Bible read you. It's a hard saying. But Jesus would say, search the scriptures, for in them you have life. It's not a surface level study. It's not a surface that is study to show thyself approved unto God, right? A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Old Testament would emphasize this idea of meditating, right? In Psalm 1, the one who was blessed, the man who was blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in this word. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. It's this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. So what does it mean to meditate on scriptures? It means taking the truths of the Bible and letting it change your life. Letting it change you. Influencing your thoughts. Influencing what you believe. Influencing your words. Influencing how you behave. As I said earlier, in the hands of God, we're merely instruments. But, the effect, but our effectiveness largely depends on the source of our power. God's not the, the one empowering our life, and we're as good as an axe handle without its head, a vessel which is ineffective. So in closing, we'll just make an application tonight. If you've lost God's power on your life, firstly, consider where you've lost it. Consider where you've lost it. You ever lost your keys? You ever lost your wallet? Man, that happens to me all the time. Now I got an Apple AirTag on all my stuff, you know? Consider where you lost it. What's the most annoying question that you get asked when you lose something? Where, where'd, you, where'd you put it last, you know? It's like, if I knew, I wouldn't be in this predicament, you know? But I usually remember, like, a general location, like, where we were, right? If you've lost God's power in your life, consider where you've lost it. Is there sin in your life that may be grieving the heart of God? Affecting his outflow of power in your life? I was just washing my car the other day. You know what always hinders me from being able to use it to wash my car? It's whenever there's a tangle in the core. The only way to fix it, if I'm not frantically shaking the hose, you know, trying to undo the tangle, I literally have to go to the place, I got to bend down where the entanglement is, and I got to undo it. That's the only way that stream of water will begin to flow again, right? It might be helpful if you've lost God's power in your life to go to the place that you've lost it. And we all know our struggles, right? But if you're in here today and you have never experienced the power of God, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, but a power. Secondly, if you've lost God's power in your life, it might be wise to seek godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety, right? And I encourage you, make sure the ones you're seeking out are people that love the Lord, people that know the Lord, right, and will give godly counsel. And finally, um, if you lost God's power in your life, ask the Lord for power. Ask the Lord for power, right? All power is given unto Jesus in heaven and in earth. Sometimes it's as simple as asking, too. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be open. Remember what your God is capable of. Man. He's done many things beyond what you can, can comprehend. Making the head of an axe to float on water is but a small thing for him. But a small thing for him. You still have a miracle working God. He can do it for you, church family. He can do it for you. Let's just read in verse 7. I'll close with this. Verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. God performed the miracle, and now the axe head was now floating on the water. But notice it was still the responsibility of the man to go and to take the axe. In other words, God's power is readily available to us. It's readily accessible to you as a believer. But you still got to go and take it. You still got to go in and access and tap into the power of God. The power is in the word. Thank you. That's all I have for tonight. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.